Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You can get me across that series of tubes known as the internet at EW Erickson, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You'll like me the most on Instagram. Holy moly, the market sucked yesterday. Uh, It was bad. Uh, The Dow down 2,000 points, NASDAQ down 624, S&P 500 down 225. Uh, The New York side, just it was a brutal, brutal day. The markets will be opening here shortly. Joining me to make sense of all of this and the president's plans uh, from Dynamic Money and my guest host and friend, Chris Burns. Welcome. Hey, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Now, you were on Fox and Friends this morning, and people are like, wait, haven't I seen him already today? Yes. Good good hit on Fox and Friends. Hey, thank you. It's fascinating. Already you see on Fox and Friends, just talking with those folks, this movement towards, hey, today looks great, right? Because if you look at the futures on uh, yeah, the S&P, everything is looking a little bit up. And the Wall Street Journal, the front page is stocks, you know, revive. Um but the reality is, when you're in a de- when you, when you're in a period where where the market is falling, like yeah, sure today could be a fine day in the market where we see two or three percent growth because people tend to buy on a drop, and so when it's that bad yesterday, you're going to have a subsection of people that buy, and you're going to see a little bit of recovery. Plus, the president said some things people are feeling some cautious optimism about. The president of China went and visited Wuhan to kind of show, hey, we have this under control. But the reality is nothing fundamental has actually shifted at this point. So let's not be the kind of people that look at yesterday and go, holy cow, it's the end of the world. Wake up today and the market's up a little bit and we go, oh, everything's fine. That just becomes unsustainable and it's exhausting, honestly. Well, and, and, you know, it, it almost seems, to some degree, if, if the market is a reflection of everything and, and uh, to a degree the market is also a reflection of people, uh, you've also got a situation where the markets begin to behave like people who really are bouncing around on social media stuff. And and then the president spoke. Let me let me play real quick some of what the president said yesterday. We are going sure. to be asking tomorrow. We're seeing the Senate. We're going to be meeting with uh, House Republicans, Mitch McConnell, everybody, and discussing a possible payroll tax uh, cut or relief, substantial relief, very substantial relief. That's a big that's a big number. Uh, we're also going to be talking about hourly wage earners getting uh, help so that they can uh, be in a position where they're not going to ever miss a paycheck. We're going to be working with uh, companies and small companies, large companies, a lot of companies, so that they don't uh, get penalized for something that's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's not our country's fault. Uh, this was something that we were thrown into, and we're going to handle it, and we have been handling it very well. The big decision was early when we shut down our borders. We we're the first ones ever to do that. We've never done that in our country before. Now, part of the, the underlying concern here, and I, I kind of get aggravated at the media talking heads. And if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Chris Burns from Dynamic Money, uh, my guest host for any actually is my financial advisor. Uh, and, and Chris... I I hear people in the media say, well, you know, everybody can just telecommute. But if you're a plumber, if you're an Uber driver, if you're an electrician, you can't actually telecommute. And and we don't want these people to be undone by a virus that keeps people from being able to go to work. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, there's plenty of industries where, yes, this might push forward more, continue the gig economy and more remote work and things like that. 
But the reality is a lot of the people that would be hardest hit by these slowdowns are in positions where they have no way to do their work remote. I agree with you. I like in some ways the idea of a payroll cut, but we have to remember it's very similar in some ways to the tax cut that we saw a few years ago, where even though the overall number is huge, if we did a payroll cut where you see a massive amount of money um, that is cut from taxes, the individual, a lot of individuals aren't going to feel a tremendous change from this. I think where it could really be impactful is that you both have a little bit more spending money for individuals, but then businesses who pay the other half of those payroll taxes, they also have more liquidity. And so it's kind of a backhanded way to give businesses a little more leeway to maybe not lay off workers if they're in that position and hopefully hoping this is more of a short-term economic reality than something that extends for a number of months. Well, now we've got, I mean, yeah, the, the futures look like the market's going to do well today, and then who knows what tomorrow's going going to do. And there are people who are planning their retirement who are nervous, who I, I've got friends of mine who are in there. I was chuckling with one of them who is 28 years old and said, my 401k totally crashed. It it almost wiped out. I was like, you're, you're 28 years old. Suck it up. Um, well, I mean, that that's me saying it. You, you're the actual financial advisor. You've got me. I'm, I'm 44 years old. I, I got money in my 401k. You are my financial advisor. What are you telling me? If you have 10 years until retirement, at least, so especially if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, then the reality is a drop like this, and it's hard to feel this way because the numbers feel overwhelming, but a drop like this might be the best thing that could happen to you. Just think for a minute about the last significant drop we had in 2008, 2009. If you were aggressively invested because you were younger, yes, you lost a lot of money, but we've seen 500% growth in the market over the last 11 years. That's remarkable. And so the real danger here is less for young people. In fact, it's really an opportunity for young people to say, hey, if you keep putting money in your 401k right now, you're getting an incredible deal. You're getting these stocks on a massive sale. Um, The fear is more for folks in their 60s that are right on the edge of retirement who may not have adjusted their risk, and now they're seeing you know, a 15 20% drop, and that could have long-term impact. And so those are the folks that really need to be careful and assess the level of risk they're taking because, um, you know, for them, it's, it, it's, it's really an issue of can I stick with this or what, how is this going to affect my income plan? A lot of folks go with their gut, and that's probably the most dangerous thing to do right now because when you see a huge drop, you got to want to be reactive. But the reality is – It's really carefully looking at, okay, do I need to make any changes to be careful about those changes to make sure that I'm still going to be okay long term? If you're in your 40s, you're going to be fine. Excellent. So I'm going to be fine, people. You hear that? <laughs> well, I mean, you might have issues, but it's not based on the market. Right yeah. Okay. Now. Okay. 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 Yeah. Whatever. You, you, you've seen my wife. We're all scared of her. Um, <laughs> she's, people, she's taller than me and she owns more guns than me. Now, let, let's let's get into people right now who that they are starting to worry. They're, they've got, given the economic slowdown, they're, given, they're in the service industry or something, and they're reassessing what they may need to do, um, access to liquidity, uh, access to money to pay bills. Uh, What do you start advising people in a situation like this if we're headed into a recessionary event where people start to worry about making ends meet? Yeah, the number one thing is the first thing you said. It's how much liquidity do I have? 
And if you've gone through a planning process, then you may be in a place where you already have an emergency fund and three months of expenses or whatever. But a lot of folks listening have not done that. And so you go, well, where can I find liquidity? And the answer is, well, start being creative here and looking at, in a worst-case scenario, could I pull equity from my home? In a worst-case scenario, could I take a loan on a 401k? Those aren't things that we necessarily would want to do. But it's really important that you take stock right now of where could I have liquidity and the ability to continue my life in a healthy, normal way if this turns into a a job loss for a period of time or there's a reduction salary or whatever, you know, anything that could happen with this. And again, those aren't things you should necessarily jump on and go, okay, go ahead and take the loan today. But just start evaluating where are there pockets of money or what could you be doing to create more liquidity? For instance, if you're closer to retirement, some folks, it might be wise to pull back on their 401k contributions for a brief period of time just so that they can have more money coming through their paychecks and bank more of that in the short term. And and that's, again, not for everybody. For younger people, I'd say keep that money pouring in because you want to see the growth on the other side. But just if you're closer to retirement, the number one thing right now, even in your 40s and 50s, is going, do I have the liquidity to be flexible to handle whatever this throws at me? And doing that forward planning now will help you a lot in the next three, four, five weeks. Now, that's something that you do. And I also know one of the things that you guys do and probably needed right now. There are a bunch of businesses out there who have employees who have 401ks who, you know, in all honesty, and and I suspect there are a lot of people in my situation as well, who I knew nothing about getting into a 401k and what percentage I should take out of my paycheck and put it and where should I put it and how should I balance it and all that. And you got a bunch of people out there with these accounts and they're getting statements. I just checked while we're talking. Mine was down $10,000. And and what do you do? And, And you guys dynamic money will come in and, and actually sit down with employees for businesses and kind of kind of help them walk through what they need to be doing? Yeah, I'm just blown away how many people I meet. And I experienced this when I was an employee. When, when you go into uh, that annual meeting where you have your 401k and health insurance, and it's basically just a form that's handed out, and it's check the box for what you want to do for your 401k, and the education hardly exists at all. This is the most important tool you could ever have in our current day and age for retirement. And so now, especially when we see volatility and we, rem- we remember the reality that, oh, yeah, there is time. There are times the market drops. Like We've kind of forgotten that over the last 10 years, that there's education around how to respond to that. Because the way you respond right now is going to be critical for the growth of your account 10 and 15 and 20 years from now. So we love coming in and just being able to provide that kind of education to benefit to employers, but certainly for employees that they make healthy decisions so that they can long-term be in a good position. There really is a, a psychological aspect to this, isn't there? You've got all this money in an account. You can't touch it until you hit retirement. All you can do is obsess with the ups and downs. And, and, and in a lot of cases, you just, you've been sticking money in an account because your employer gave you the form and you really know nothing about it. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that everybody feels a level of concern and uncertainty when they see drops like we've experienced over the last few weeks. I mean, we were down 19% the most recent high in most of our major indexes before before the market kind of shut down for 15 minutes yesterday and so dramatic losses and yet you know how do you how do you kind of push back against that mentally i would just encourage people look 
our economy and our markets have made it through two world wars and a great recession, the Great Depression and 9-11. We're incredibly resilient. And that's not just because of the market. It's because of us. The American consumer has been unbelievably resilient in the face of these things. So, yes, it's an important time to look at the math, look at the dropping percentages in your 401k. But it's also a good time to remember your history, that we've been through this. We will make it through this. And for a lot of folks, they'll make it through a lot stronger. So don't forget your history in the midst of the fear that locks in when you start seeing these dropping numbers. Chris Burns, I sure appreciate you coming by and, and talking through this because, you know, I can mouth off about a lot of things, but you, you know how bad I am. with my, I hate to even deal with money, so I'm glad I have you to rely on. Well, man, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Chris Burns, Dynamic Money. He, he really, just full disclosure and all transparency, uh, he really is my guest host. He really is the CEO of Dynamic Money. He actually is a really good friend. In fact, we're, we're going to the beach together uh, with the family in a couple of weeks um, for spring break. He's, and he's just a, he's a brilliant resource. And seriously, uh, his company will come in. If you're, if you're listening right now and you own a company, you're in charge of this sort of stuff for a company, uh, he'll come in. Uh, he's not going to charge you to come in and talk to your employees and do employee education. Uh, and he, I mean, if, if your employees, it's kind of a win for him. If your employees said, Hey, I want this guy to manage my retirement fund, uh, that he picks up business that way. Uh, but he's is zero commissions. It's a hundred percent fee based in what he does. So he's not coming in to sell your employees products. He's not coming in to sell you products uh, about the only thing he sells is peace of mind. Um, because he comes in and he's a straight shooter. So that's why I went with him. Uh, you know, Christy and I were seriously thinking of going the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University route. And I happened to meet Chris and we hit it off and, and struck up a friendship. And turns out this is what he does for a living, uh, something very similar. And decided that we would, he's local, he's in Georgia, he's 100% uh, fee, so there's no commissions, not going to be sold products, and we went with him. And, and I have not regretted it. It is nice. One, I can, I've developed a friendship and have a great guest host who does this well. Uh, but two, more importantly, uh, having somebody who can come in and explain this stuff at a human level. I mean, he's a former youth pastor, for Pete's sake. He's, he's great at explaining complicated concepts uh, at a lower level. So I can't recommend Chris and enough. He really is a good friend, but he also is great at this. Um, so if, if you need somebody to handle your 401k or talk to about retirement or even home budgeting, which is actually why Christian and I went to him first. Uh, the, we, we went to Chris to, to cause I'm terrible with money. I, I hate it. Uh, it frankly, it kind of scares me and working through that with him is, has been really good for our peace of mind. Uh, but then to, to pass off my 401k and here, say here, just, I don't get this, you do it. Uh, and we pay a fat flat fee and he takes care of it. And, or we did, uh, going through the process. It was fantastic. I recommend it to everybody. Uh, I, I can't, I'm a, I'm a big Chris Burns fan and it's great that he's a friend. So if you're listening right now and you have a business and your employees are freaked out about their retirement, uh, you should go to dynamicmoney.com and seriously consider reaching out. Uh, good people who work there and they just give great advice and they're not going to take advantage of your employees because they're not there to sell a product. They're just 
there to help people get peace of mind. Bottom line from Chris Burns, don't panic. The market will recover. Uh, if you need some help, you can go to dynamicmoney.com and talk to the folks there. Uh, again, it's a hundred percent fee, no commissions. They're not going to sell you stuff, uh, but don't panic right now. And if you don't understand anything about your 401k, let them come in and educate you, your employers, if you're a boss. Um, I want to say something real quick that is deeply, deeply self-serving. And I'm going to acknowledge upfront that it is deeply self-serving. Uh, we have been spending a lot of time, more time than I ever wanted to, or intended to on the coronavirus. Uh, and the economic impact of it right now is probably the biggest story of the week. And it's going to be, the president will be outlining plans, uh, shortly on what exactly his stimulus plan is going to do regarding payroll tax and other incentives to keep businesses going. Uh, you, you can, we can downplay the virus all we want, but let's not downplay the, the clear effects that's happening in the market and the economy. But I, I got to tell you, and, and this is this really, and admittedly, this is self-serving. When I started this program, I, I, I wanted to do a show that started out covering the state of Georgia and then moving beyond Georgia and into a national city show. And I very much want to do that. I, I want to continue to grow the show. Uh, and Everyone, everyone, and I mean everyone told me you should do a podcast instead. And I don't want to do a podcast. I, I, I like my news timely and current. Uh, and, and a podcast, I could record this today and you may not hear it next week. Now, ironically, we do a podcast of the show and I would encourage you to get it. You can text the word show to 33777 and I'll send you back a link to the podcast. Uh, but there is no substitute for live TV and radio. Uh, in, in a world of on-demand services, uh, we are able to cover the market and we are able to cover what's going on in a way that a podcast can't, in a way that something on-demand can't. And and I think that really matters, uh, particularly there. there's always going to be nationally syndicated radio, but also live and local radio programming as well. And you're just not going to be able to get from a podcast what I can give you here. And I realize that that is very self-serving. It almost sounds, I can hear it sound arrogant uh, if you interpret it in a way I, I don't mean. And, and I really don't mean it arrogantly. I just mean I, I love doing this. And I love being able to get in here from 9 to noon every day and I outline my show and say these are the things I want to talk about. Oh, Doggone it. I almost said a bad word. Uh, I, I can't talk about that now. This breaking news just happened, and now I need to process this breaking news for everybody on here and being able to tell people what actually matters. And one of the things that I see in radio right now, and I see it on, on the, the news channels as well and the streaming services related to the news channels, is there are more and more people out there, and I'm getting a lot of hate mail for something I wrote this morning. We'll get into it in a little while. Um, and there are people who just want to tell you what you want to hear and throw red meat to you. And a lot of them doing very bad impressions and conservative radio in particular, doing very bad impressions of Rush Limbaugh. I actually know Rush and he's actually a friend of mine. And I would never want to do an impression of Rush Limbaugh because Rush's is completely unique in what he's done in radio. I mean, he is the godfather of talk radio. Nobody can beat him. And for the longest time, I always said, I never wanted a syndication, a syndicated radio show because I, I didn't want to compete against a guy who not only is my friend, but would clean my clock and he would. Um, th there's a reason so many radio syndicators out there have a blank spot from noon to three because they all carry rush. He's that good. But there are so many people who get into radio and, and they're, they're vapid and shallow and want to throw you red meat and get you excited and just rah-rah cheerlead bass. 
And I really do think there's got to be a place in in conservative talk radio for this is actually the news and this is actually true and and this thing you believe isn't true. And you can do that on a podcast to a degree, I guess, but there's so much news that happens on a constant, steady basis. And being able to be here live with you for three hours as the news comes in and filter it for you and say, this is true and this isn't true and here's what's happening and what's about to happen and call up people I know who are experts in the field and and get their take on stuff. Man, I love doing that. And and I hope you enjoy going along for the ride with me because it sure is a lot of fun to be able to do it with you. Okay, I I wish... (laughs) My goodness, hang on a second. I forgot to restart the live stream and I can I'm, I'm totally distracted at this very <laughs> Oh my gosh, y'all, y'all in Memphis. I, I I can't I can't I oh my goodness. <laughs> hang on a second. I gotta see. This is some guy. Record no, I I can't because I haven't seen the whole way through and and I don't know if there's profanity at the end because I I, I would be throwing expletives uh, <laughs> hilarious ones. So some guy is filming the TV news. It is let me. It is Fox 13 in Memphis. They've got a coronavirus case in Memphis and they're showing parents sending their kids into a school in Memphis and one of the dads has a bottle of Clorox bleach or or Lysol kitchen spray and he's spraying down his kid. He's getting it in his hair and on his face and all over his clothes. But the BS down his instance. (laughs) Some parent brings their kid to school. This is, I'm not making this up. This is an actual, okay. I, I just, I, I'm putting this out. If, if you, if you want to see it on, on, if you're on Twitter, I'm going to retweet this on Twitter right now. E.W. Erickson. So you can see it for yourself. This parent dresses their child in garbage bags. Even like taped around their face with a surgical mask on and the kid is covered in, I mean, garbage bag helmet, garbage bag shirt, garbage bag pants, and a face mask. This is, this is as much of an overreaction as going to buy toilet paper. Uh, you know, people have run out of toilet paper. Panic buying of the toilet paper. Oh my goodness gracious! This is this is absurd. Uh, this is at new new absurd levels of bizarreness in dealing with the coronavirus situation. Listen, and you know I'm in the camp that it's not as bad. It's not as bad as some people are saying, but it's actually a lot worse than what other people are saying. And it's become so tribal. We'll deal with this later. But, you know, you got a lot of the president's supporters out there saying, oh, this is just a media conspiracy to destroy the president and and end his election. And and it's just the common cold. No, I'm sorry. Ireland would not cancel all St. Patrick's Day parades. And Italy would not shut its entire country down to impact the American presidential election. There's a level of arrogance in believing that. At the same time, no, we're not all going to die. No, uh, not everybody's going to get this. There are some straight line projections from some blue check mark people on social media. You understand what the blue check mark phenomenon is on social media, Instagram and, and Twitter. It's actually a, technically a white check mark surrounded by a, a, a blue circle. But in any event, on, on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter, yours truly is in the blue check mark brigade. <gasps> 
So you, all these people with blue check marks and they're considered experts or they're verified personalities or, or whatnot. Uh, and, and they get some level of, of higher status in social media. Uh, my kids uh, have impressed so many kids at their school with the fact that I have an Instagram blue check mark, which is virtually impossible to get. A verified Instagram account is is like platinum. Um, it is It is hard to get. And in any event, I'm seeing these people and they're making straight line projections. Oh, well, this virus, it, it spreads. One person gives it to two people. Those two people give it to, to four people and it spreads exponentially. Like that. We're all going to die. No, that's not the way it works. People change their behavior. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. It's just, man, but I saw that during commercial break of these parents. I mean, one guy literally, and it's a dad. It's a dad doing it to his clearly high school age son. They're standing out there and it's like a, a um, it's not the standard spray Lysol. I'm assuming it looks like the kitchen cleaner, like 409 or the Clorox one or the, the Lysol one. And he's there, there's pumping spray all over this kid's face and body and clothes and books as he's going into school as if that's going to protect him. And then the, the end is the kid wrapped up in garbage bags. Wow. That poor kid is going to be picked on for the rest of... Actually, that kid's not going to be picked on for the rest of his life because all you can see are two little eyes. <laughs> you know, it's going to be the rest of his life. That wasn't me, man. That wasn't me. That was somebody else. <laughs> Oh, mercy. Okay. Now, you do need to know, speaking of Italy, they have shut the entire country down. Italy is being run right now by socialists. Uh, the socialist government of Italy has shut the entire country down. They started in northern Italy, the Lombardy province and Milan and Venice and in that area. They, they shut it down. They couldn't contain the virus, so they have literally shut the entire city down. They have fenced off the Vatican. The Vatican is an independent city, and the Italian state has shut down the Vatican. There's no getting in or out of the Vatican except by helicopter. Uh, you can't leave Rome. You, you can't walk around the city very much. Uh, you can't go to mass. You can't take communion. You can't get on an airplane. You can't get off an airplane if you land in Italy. They, nothing is happening in Italy. So the socialist government of Italy has decided now, as a result, they're going to be paying everybody's bills, particularly mortgages. They're going to be paying mortgages. As you can imagine, this has sparked interest from American progressives and socialists that we start doing all sorts of expansive government policies here to help people. Austin Goldsby was an economic advisor to President Obama. Here's the thing about virus economics, which is different from normal economics. In a normal recession, you don't know what the cause is. There's not an obvious time period that it's going to take place and then and go away. And so you engage in stimulus. The thing about virus economics is the best thing you can do for the economy has nothing to do with the economy. It is to slow the rate of spread of the virus. It's to allow people to stay home when they're sick and not go bankrupt, not lose their jobs. So we got to engage in getting the tests and slowing the rate of spread of this virus. And that is doable. You can't stop the virus from spreading at all, but you can slow it down. You can get us to the summer when the rates of infection may be lower. And I don't understand at all why the president is going out and saying things like, oh, we only have 14 cases and pretty soon that's going to be zero. It's totally, it's just completely false. And it's encouraging people to do things that are actually making the virus spread. Yeah, it's actually the 
you know, there's something to be said for the president uh, trying to calm people so much that he says things that aren't true. But this this idea that oh, we got the virus, we need to, to we need to mitigate it, we need to we got to do something, we we got to do expansive government programs uh, to get us through a virus related recession. And then there's Katie Turr on MSNBC. What do you say to people who are asked? I'm to sure some of them don't. Who don't have paid sick leave and frankly cannot afford to stay home for those two weeks without a paycheck and might be worried about losing their jobs. Well, I think they are in the worst of all worlds. They have to make a decision about uh, feeding their family and Isn't paying the rent the government step in? and potentially making other people sick. I think the government should step in. That would be the most logical choice. I also think when testing is available, we need to make sure that community health centers across this country have the tests, have trained personnel, because a lot of people who are not insured and some people who are um, here legally working but undocumented might be reluctant to they don't have doctors they don't have any insurance coverage we want everybody to be tested so we have to make these steps that we're asking people to take a third of workers in this country have no paid sick leave let's just start there so we're talking about a huge portion of the population who can't afford to stay home you know you're right we are talking about a huge portion of the population that can't afford to stay home. That is that is absolutely true. But why is it the government's responsibility to pay them a salary? You know who this leads. This this leads to the ideas of a universal basic, basic income and things like that. Things that the government can't afford. Now, all of this you need to understand comes from... What is uh, it's it, they're calling it modern monetary theory, MMT. You're going to be hearing a lot about MMT because it is the new Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, a bunch of progressives in Congress have embraced this. And essentially it is that you can print money because we're not a gold based currency. You can print as much money as you want to pay for as much as you want, and you can curb inflation. You can take other steps to curb inflation uh, so that inflation does not go up. Uh, you can restrict and, and and pull in and take out money from uh, the, the economy, but essentially what it boils down to is we can pay for everything by printing unlimited sums of money. It is a fringe idea that has caught on with the far left. And so that's why we're seeing this rush of programs coming out from people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the other, because they genuinely now actually do believe that we can print all the money we want to print and we will not have inflation, that uh, we will not have inflation unless uh, the, the government uh, takes steps to curtail money on the other side of the equation. You, you essentially flood money into the private sector, and then you pull it back out on the other side as quickly as you can. And so it allows people to pay for things. Then you suck the money back out of the economy through unicorn farts or some such, and it, it prevents inflation from happening. And, and we're now going to see this, that these people, they want a universal basis of income. They want paid family leave. They want paid individual leave. They want paid sick time. Uh, they, they want all of these things. The, the fact of the matter is, and I'm sorry, and I know that given the demographics, the people who listen to this show, I want to be very careful because it's not my intention to offend people. But there are people who work with their hands, who, who work in, in uh, blue-collar jobs, who work in uh, skilled labor jobs that are – listen, I was a lawyer. I sat in an office. I could I could work from home. I could work from a coffee shop. I could work from my office. If you're a plumber, you can't do that. 
If you're an Uber driver, you can't do that. If you're an electrician, you can't do that. If you're a, a waiter or waitress, you can't work from home. If you bag groceries or you work retail, you, you can't work from home. And so the argument for these people is, listen, we're going to head into a recession. People are going to be going to the local mall. They're not going to be going to the restaurant. They're not going to be using Uber. They're not going to be flying. We've got to find a way. And they're not going to want the plumber and the electrician to come to their house. Uh, listen, when your toilet clogs up and you can't fix it, you're going to want the plumber to come. But nonetheless, I, I, I get the argument. But the idea that because someone is a waiter or waitress and people aren't coming to the restaurant, so they're going to lose their job, therefore we need to pay them a basic income to get them through this. This is a recessionary event, and it is led by a virus, but it's still a recessionary event, and we've been through these before, and we know the economy rebounds. We know the virus is going to go away. I do have to say as well, and I want to spend a little more time on this on the other side of the break, that they are making more and more people be dismissive about this virus when these people go on television and they now seize on the virus to make the case for the same things they've been trying to make the case for for several years, paid family leave. They've been talking about paid family leave for a decade now. They Go, go back to George W. Bush, actually. Go back 20 years, uh, they've been insisting on paid family leave. Go back 15 years, they've been insisting on a basic universal income. And every time something comes along, they say, this time, this time, this is why we need it. This is why we need it. Never let a crisis go to waste. Except you've, you've got to do funny math to be able to figure out a way for the government to afford this when we've got a $23 trillion national debt. And that's part of what this modern monetary theory believes is that the national debt doesn't actually matter and that deficits don't actually matter, that at the individual household level, deficits matter. I mean, at the individual household level, your debt and deficits matter. If you're spending more than you bring in an income, you've got problems at the individual level. What they argue is that at the governmental level, it doesn't actually matter. At the national macroeconomic level, a deficit and a debt don't actually matter, except it does. Because macroeconomics is just the translation of individual small-scale economics into the greater whole. And if it matters at the individual level, it, it intuitively matters at the national level. And you can't just print money to get out of it. If I print $5 and, and give you one of them, you know, your dollar is worth one of five. If I then print an additional $10, your dollar is now worth what? One of 15. And, you know, the Roman Empire figured this out under Diocletian. Diocletian had massive inflation and they couldn't figure out what was going on it was actually uh hundreds of years later before anyone proposed a theory of um inflation based on printing more money the romans just kept printing more coins they, they owed their soldiers money and so they just printed more and more coins and in printing more and more coins they devalued each individual coin and so it cost more and more coins to buy individual goods And it still works the same way. Listen, if everyone in America is given $10,000 so that we can all rush out and buy the latest device from Apple, because they all cost about $10,000, you know what Apple's going to do? Apple, because of the supply and demand curve, Apple is going to jack up the price above $10,000. So not everyone will be able to buy it. So you go print people more money so that they can go out and they can buy the device. And Apple's going to keep raising the price more and more. 
it's going to inflate the price. You pump more money into the economy. People are able to buy more things. That's going to raise the rate of inflation because more people be able to buy this stuff. So uh, you can't keep up. The supply can't keep up with the demand based on people having more money in. So the supply is going to go down or the price is going to go up. You're going to trigger inflation. I mean, this is this is common sense. It's not even economics. And yet that's what we're going to hear from the left as they peddle these ideas to take advantage of the virus, to never let a crisis go to waste, to try to get their preferred economic policies of, of universal basic income, forgiving everybody's student loans, uh, paying everybody's mortgage. This is what they're doing. The socialists in Italy, we should not be doing with the unstable, unstable government in Italy is doing. And the unstable government in Italy has decided they're going to pay everybody's bills and mortgages. They're going to get into a financial crisis and they're going to blame the virus when it's their own idiocy that got them into this by doing what they're doing. I acknowledge that we want to keep the virus from spreading. I acknowledge that the more the virus spreads, the more likely it is to mutate in ways that work against us. I acknowledge all of these things. I acknowledge that it is more serious than many of the president's supporters want to believe. Uh, it's to the extent that Ireland, of all places, is canceling St. Patrick's Day celebrations, and Italy has closed off the entire country. I acknowledge the virus is worse than people believe, but it's also not nearly as bad as a lot of people want to say it is. It's worse than the flu. It's worse than the cold. It is not global plague and death. It's also not an excuse to embrace failed socialist policies by not letting a crisis go to waste. I am very happy to take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. This hour is not sponsored by Dynamic Money, but I feel like since uh, Chris Burns was actually on this hour, um, giving us his expert take on the stuff. He was on Fox and Friends this morning as well, talking to them from a consumer financial perspective of what's going on in the markets. I, I should reference Dynamic Money. Uh, they are a sponsor generally. Chris actually is a guest host here, and he actually is an expert in the field. Um, if you need it, it, advice on managing your money, your 401k, your retirement, your home budget, uh, dealing with this stuff from consumer finance perspective, go to dynamicmoney.com. Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are in the field today for another round of elections. It is not Super Tuesday, but it, it kind of comes close. The, the outcomes are a lot of people thinking foreordained. Just so you know, on the ballot today, we got races in Idaho, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, and Washington, in addition to Michigan. Uh, and in Michigan, Joe Biden, if Joe Biden can beat Bernie Sanders in Michigan today, it is game over for Sanders. He has no path forward, barring just something bizarre on the campaign trail. In fact, I don't know that I played this clip yesterday, but let me go back to this. This is Celine Cooper on MSNBC because she makes the relevant point. It really yeah. seems as if, though, the everything uh, uh, provided uh, we don't have a major Biden gaffe in the next uh, couple of weeks. It's, it's, it, feels, it feels as if all the, the stacks are in his his. I, I can stop that right there. Yeah, barring barring some sort of uh, major gaffe from Biden, uh, there could always be a gaffe from Biden. It's interesting. The Democrats are now beginning to push back on Republicans, calling into question Biden's mental capacity. It almost seems like elder abuse. Some of the things that, I mean, Biden keeps going around saying the most bizarre stuff on the campaign trail. Uh, and it's not just getting his places confused. He, for example, the other day said that he wanted to help the Democrats take back the House of Representatives. Maybe he meant the Senate. I don't know. But he was talking about helping Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats take back the House. Surely he knows she's the Speaker of the House. Uh, there are 147 delegates 
in Michigan. Remember, it's not winner take all. It is if you get 15% of the vote, you get a portion of the delegates. Right now, based on the polling there, Biden will get 78. Sanders will get 47. Uh, Biden is actually at 57% of the polling average. Sanders is at 32. But, 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 but. Here's the thing you've got to remember about Michigan. In 2016, Hillary Clinton was running 27 points ahead of Bernie Sanders. 27 points ahead of Bernie Sanders. My, my, my brain melted for a minute. Like, wait, Bernie Sanders, what? I'm talking about Bernie Sanders? Yeah. Bernie Sanders in 2016 ran against Hillary Clinton. And in Michigan, Hillary Clinton was 27 points ahead of, of Bernie Sanders in the polling average. And Bernie Sanders won with over 50% of the vote in Michigan. Now, the question here is, who stays home because of coronavirus? The young people or the old people? And the odds are more old people will turn out than young people. You know, young people just aren't turning out for Bernie Sanders. And, and they overwhelmingly support Bernie Sanders. But they're not turning out to vote. And the dirty little secret is they never actually do. Uh, people go over, uh, above, and beyond... Uh, flirting with young people. I, I said on radio, I had to be interviewed this morning at 8.12 on WSB in Atlanta. And I said, you know, it, we all focus on young people because they're in the demo. They're in the advertising demo. And so the media wants to talk about young people, make them feel like they're noticed by the media. Maybe they'll tune in and stick with us for the rest of their lives. Young people don't care about that sort of stuff and they don't care about voting. They want to go out, they want to have a good time. Sure, they're going to support the socialist, but they're not actually going to show up to vote for him because ultimately at the end of the day, they know they're going to grow up and the policy are going to fail them, so they don't actually commit. They just like to flirt with them as a streak of youth rebellion in college when they're too busy getting drunk, smoking weed, and not showing up and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. How are you this morning? It is six after the hour, and I can't see blue sky outside here in Macon, and it annoys me because I really enjoyed the weather. I, I feel obligated now. I, I, I need to pull up the radar, don't I, and just see because the weather's going to be garbage again my wife is beside herself on the need to ride her motorcycle and she won't ride in the rain and look there's rain everywhere if you're listening to me you've got rain or it's about to be there you're in Macon where I am and you're thinking oh we're not having well it's raining in Forsyth it's about to rain in Macon it's going to be raining in downtown Macon in about 15 minutes and then up there, Athens, you're in the clear right now, but you're about to get rain again. Um, all of you are, are, it is messy. The only people who God has spared at this very moment are the people in Dalton who are listening. Uh, and even in Dalton, you're going to be getting probably some sprinkles here again in a little bit. You've had rain already. The rest of us, nah, it's just, it's rainy and I'm annoyed. Uh, and listen, I, so I've had this conversation with people. So should we pray for it to stop raining? Because it's been raining for a while. I mean, this is like the wettest, wettest um, early spring, late winter we've ever had. And I want to pray for it to stop raining, but I'm afraid that then it's never going to rain again. And we don't want drought because you and I both know the summer, we're all going to be complaining about the heat and the drought. So we might as well just suck it up, I guess. Let the reservoirs fill up so we have water this summer. Um, okay. I want to do something, and listen, I want to be very open with you because because you're allowed to call in and disagree. You actually are. I don't mind people calling and disagreeing. You just got to be normal and sane and make it past the call screener um, by having an articulable point uh, that you can get to your point without going on a profanity-laced tirade. Um, and the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. 
I, I want to spend a few moments on the idea of truth and, and what is true. And uh, this is based at riffing on, to some degree, what I wrote this morning. Uh, and it's about some stuff I'm seeing conservatives do, and I've got a real problem with it. And the only way I can approach it is, well, I, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm an evangelical. Uh, I go to a PCA church. We put the fun in fundamentalism, and I'm in seminary. And that is, that's my background from my perspective. You may come from a different perspective and that's fine. But I I think to engage in this discussion, you at least need to know where I'm coming from. The dictionary defines truth and it's so annoying to me. So I had a high school teacher, Carla Boykin, and Carla Boykin would take off points if you defined a word by using the word or a derivative of the word. And dictionaries are bad about that. So, for example, truth in the dictionary is defined as the quality or state of being true. Well, that true and true, they're derivative words so that she would get she'd take points off if we did that. But Merriam-Webster does that, the quality or state of being true, which means you got to go look up the word true. What is true? Well, true is in accordance with fact or reality. So in other words, what is truth? It is the quality or state of being in accordance with fact or reality. Carla Boykin would give us a pass on that. Scripture, where I my, my worldview is premised on my faith, and Scripture says Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So what does that mean? Well, in, in short, it means Jesus is reality, God's real, factual, existent. Christians are then called to walk in truth, and and I so I assume most of you, demographically, I would expect most of you listening, consider yourself a person of faith. Uh, you may be agnostic, uh, but but some level of faith, and, and you're called to walk in truth. We've got an obligation to fact. We have an obligation to live in the world as it is, not as we want it to be, because Jesus is fact. He's not in fact. He is fact, and he is reality. He is true. He is truth. And those of us who believe in him harm our witness when we live in a world that is not grounded in reality, uh, because we can't be a witness for the truth of the gospel if we're unwedded from a fact-based reality. We can't say the resurrection is real when we say an ascertainable real fact is false, or we say something that's ascertainably not true is real. Nobody's going to believe us on the resurrection if we're a liar in, in everything else. All of us are allowed to look at facts and reality differently. So, for example, um, let's say that the fact is there's a homeless man who needs help. That is a fact. It is a fact that a progressive can look at and say, this guy needs help. And this is a fact that a conservative can look at and say, this guy needs help. Now, the progressive can say, based on that set of facts, that we need more taxes because we need more robust government programs and the government needs to come in and take care of that person. The conservative can say, well, this is a failure of his family and the church and the local community and the local nonprofits to help this guy. And we need to get government out of the way so that those local resources can stand up and help this guy. They're both looking at the same set of facts that there's a homeless man who needs help. Uh, No one disputes that fact, but they're interpreting the facts based on their worldviews and their, their experiences and what they believe is best. Their underlying policies can be different. So for example, you know, a a conservative and a progressive, let's just for the sake of argument, say that the world actually is, uh, we are going through a climate change period. And yes, humans, in fact, play some role in it. We can argue over how much, but let's just, for the purpose of argument, let's just accept uh, climate change is real, just for the purpose of argument. Climate change is real. 
Well, a, a progressive can say we need robust government programs to stop it, and a conservative can say yeah, we can adapt to it. It's no big deal. I don't care about the issue. Progressives, of course, will be outraged at the conservative for saying that, but we can look at the same facts and say, okay, for the sake of argument, climate change is real, but why are we spending government resources to deal with it when we can just all adapt? You can do that. You may not, people may not like it, but you can do that. Uh, neither side is negating the facts. They're just looking at it from different perspectives, but they, they have an understanding of fact. They have an understanding premised in the truth of reality, of, of the real situation. And the issue here is that truth is true. It's not your truth and my truth. That annoys me so much. Um, There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's either the truth or there's not the truth. And when a lot of people say, well, my truth is my truth, it's not your truth. It's your emotion that you're talking about. And I don't care about your emotions. I don't care what you feel half the time. You know, even I've started saying I feel that. And occasionally I do feel passionately about something. But oftentimes it's I think, and and I tell my kids all the time when they bring home this this vernacular now from school, well, I, I feel that and I'll stop them and I'll say, I don't care what you feel. I want to know what you think. What do you think based on the same set of facts? That leads me to a picture that I have now seen, and I've gone back and logged it more than a hundred times in the last 24 hours on social media. I have seen this picture. Some of you have seen it too, and it is conservatives. There is not a single progressive I know who has shared this picture. It is all conservatives sharing this picture on social media. And it's a sign, it's a whiteboard, and it says posted at a doctor's office today. Every election year has a disease. SARS 2004, avian 2008, swine 2010, MERS 2012, Ebola 2014, Zika 2016, Ebola 2018, Corona 2020. Coronavirus has a contagion factor of two. SARS was four. Measles is 18. Coronavirus has a cure rate of 99.7% for those under 50 and infects. Coronavirus spread is leveling off. This is a viral pneumonia being hyped as the black plague before an election. I have seen more than a hundred different people, all conservatives on social media, circulating that post designed to minimize concerns about the Wuhan coronavirus. And it's not true. It's not truth. And almost to a person, the people circulating this claim to be Christian, the ones I've noticed, I've, I've dug in. And if Christians are supposed to walk in truth and be grounded in truth, then to disseminate that picture is actually a sin because it's a willful distortion of the truth, so much of distortion of the truth that it's a lie. So SARS broke out after the 2002 election. It was actually, the peak of it was in 2003. The avian flu broke out in 1997 and came back in an odd-numbered year, not an even-numbered year, more deadly. The swine flu actually came out in 2009. MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, came out in 2014 in Saudi Arabia. And then it hit South Korea in 2015. Ebola has been happening for decades in Africa. It is a bit of a serious bit of arrogance on the part of a bunch of Americans to believe that Africans are hemorrhaging to death in Africa, uh, contracting Ebola to impact the American election. And that's what this that's what this suggests. That's what this picture suggests, that Africans are dying in West Africa of Ebola, hemorrhaging to death, bleeding out of their pores to impact an American election. 
By the way, uh, the cure rate is actually a recovery rate on the sign. Uh, the virus is actually much higher for people over 50. There are some suggestions it could be 15%. Uh, it, it is more easily spread than the flu. It is more easily spread than pneumonia. Even people who are under the age of 50 who get it, uh, oftentimes now there are reports of deep pain and discomfort and terrible sore throats more so than you get with the flu. In fact, the symptoms are far worse than the flu. It's easier to spread than the flu. It is not fatal, but it's more fatal than the flu. The good news is that way more people probably have it than it's contracted. There's actually been a huge spike. Uh, nationwide, the rate of flu reporting has gone down, which a lot of doctors are attributing to washing your hands. Uh, the people are, are avoiding large crowds. They're washing their hands. But in New York City, there's been a massive spike in flu reports in the past two weeks. And a lot of people are looking at it and saying that's probably the coronavirus. And that's actually good news because what it means is that a lot more people are getting this than we expected. The problem is that uh, symptoms can take take up to 14 days to really manifest themselves and require hospitalization. And we see this huge spike in South Korea. South Korea is testing everybody. They've got drive-through testing clinics in South Korea. And people are pointing to South Korea and saying, hey, look, it can't be that bad because South Korea. The problem is that most of the people diagnosed in South Korea have been diagnosed within the last 10 days, and it can take up to 14 days for the virus to completely manifest itself in a body and cause hospitalization symptoms. But it does give us a good idea of how the virus is spreading, how quickly it spreads, how efficiently it spreads, how it actually does spread worse than the flu, how it actually is worse than the common cold. I hear this from conservatives now all the time. Oh, it's just another form of the cold. It's not a big deal. No, actually, it's far worse than the cold. And if you're over 60 or if you have a, a diabetes or you have cancer, uh, it, it can actually be fatal, significantly so. These are the facts. This is the truth. The virus spread out of China. The Chinese failed to tell everyone, then refused to release critical data until they couldn't contain it. By the time they started aggressive measures, the virus was already spreading globally. They didn't do it to mess with the American election. The whole situation is actually destabilizing the communist regime. Put another way, as I said earlier, the Irish have canceled all St. Patrick's celebrations. The Irish, the nation of Ireland, is not going to celebrate St. Patrick's Day this year. The Italians have shut down their entire country. Nobody's getting in. Nobody's getting out. Nobody's allowed to leave their individual cities. I assure you, they would not be doing that for a viral pneumonia being hyped as the Black Plague before an American election. There's clearly something going on. There's clearly some worry. And one of the biggest worries from epidemiologists is that this is the first wave of a coronavirus. The second wave of coronaviruses tend to be far deadlier because they mutate. And so if you can contain the first outbreak, you can reduce the potential for deadly mutation. Again, go back to SARS. SARS came out. And then a second wave hit the next year, and it was far deadlier. MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, it hit Saudi Arabia in 2014 and then got into South Korea in 2015. And it was far deadlier when it mutated the second time. If you're bound to truth, we need to commit to it. We need to not be downplaying the virus. We also need to not be overplaying the virus. And this is the problem here. If I give you these facts, there are people who are listening right now, and I'm already mad at them who are, no, it really isn't that bad. I knew so-and-so and so-and-so tells me he's an epidemiologist and he says it's not that bad because he's, and I'm already getting comments from people like this. He's not an epidemiologist studying the freaking virus. He's not one of the global experts. And the global experts, by the way, can get things wrong. They got things wrong with Donald Trump. They told Donald Trump he shouldn't shut down air servers from China. And that actually helped us deal with the situation better. The global experts are not always right. But when you have global experts who study coronaviruses, who are telling us that this is actually worse than you know, you, you idiot 
idiot on social media who likes the president and thinks this is a media conspiracy designed to hurt the president, you're the idiot, not the expert. But also, the Democrat who's going on TV trying to make this all about the president and say we need universal basic income now and the president's screwing it up and we're all going to die because of the president. I mean, the idiots on MSNBC who believe that the president's stopping a panel of bureaucrats in the Obama administration and shutting it down, and they could have saved us from a disease that was running rampant around the world before we even knew what was going on, that somehow that... No, no. It, it, the truth applies to them, too. The folks at MSNBC, given some of this analysis, they're either going to need to repent or prepare for hell. But that goes for everybody. If you're committed to truth, if you really believe in truth, stop sharing this BS on social media, trying to tell everyone it's all hunky-dory, it's all overhyped, it, 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 nobody needs to panic. Nobody does need to panic, but you do need to be responsible for it. It may not affect you, but shut the hell up because it's going to affect a lot of people. It really is going to affect a lot of people. And there are a lot of people over 65 who are going to die from it if they get it. Not all, but a good portion of them. So be responsible. Don't be super dismissive. You know, just as an aside, on a personal note here, I actually have a friend who got the swine flu. And I'm hearing right now, you know, remember the swine flu was no big deal. Actually, the swine flu was a very big deal in, in New York and Washington. I know people who got it. In fact, I've got a friend who got it, and she's talking very openly right now about it because she's a conservative, and she, like me, is hearing a lot of our conservative friends say, oh, this is just a media conspiracy to beat the president. She actually thought it was no big deal and an overblown conspiracy, and she got the the swine flu and went out with friends. She had she had no real symptoms at the time. She wasn't even sure she had it. She went out with friends, got her entire circle of friends infected. Several of them wound up in the hospital. It was a deeply painful virus once it set in. This apparently is a painful virus when it sets in. But she was like so many of my friends on the conservative side who they don't really care about the truth. This is all just to own the president, so they're going to treat it politically. And I don't blame them for treating it politically because the media is treating it so politically and the media is being really irresponsible on the uh, oversight. And here I am trying to walk the line in the middle and I got people on both sides. Oh, you're overplaying this. You're just you're a never trumper. And I got people on the other side saying, oh, you're trying to get people to calm down and they need to panic and they need to prepare and they need to hoard. No, I'm trying to tell you guys the truth. I got an obligation to the truth, but so do you. Well, my friends, be encouraged. The markets right now, uh, 1026 a.m., the Dow's up 689 points, NASDAQ up 259, S&P 500 up 81 New York Stock Exchange up 373 points right now. The president uh, intending to outline a plan for recovery, payroll tax, uh, and breaks for small businesses, potential stimulus for hotels, uh, airlines, cruise ships, rental car companies, things like that to really um, help people be engaged. You know, we, we do have a situation here now. Fulton County Schools, the Atlanta metro area, uh, are closed today because a teacher on Friday was taken to the hospital. And I, I got it. Listen, I hesitate to mouth off about something like this. Um, and I'm going to anyway, which is probably a warning sign. But the teacher, according to the initial reports, unless I'm missing something, the teacher went to school on Friday, wound up not feeling well at all, and wound up having to have uh, call 911 and they transported the teacher to the hospital. What we know about this Wuhan virus is that it doesn't come on suddenly. The symptoms build over time. And I, I, I'm, I've got to think that this teacher was not feeling well and still going to work. 
and as a result was spreading this virus in the school. Now they've shut down two schools. Uh, it, it will not deeply impact the kids, thankfully, at the schools because kids we're seeing from this first wave of this virus are not actually getting it, uh, or they're getting it in the symptoms are very mild. It's the older you get, the worse it is. And that's not good that this person did this. Now, listen, I get the idea. You know, they had to actually, I was sick a couple of weeks ago. I, I'd been on Bill Maher at the end of, of January and that next week got sick. And, and apparently a number of people who were there got sick. And by Thursday, I was losing my Wednesday. I was losing my voice. Thursday it was bad. By Friday, they wouldn't even let me come into work. And I work out of the house. And I was ready to come back to work on Monday, and my wife called Charlie, my producer, and she's like, you can't let him back on the air. you got to find somebody to, to step in for him on Monday. And I wanted to come back to work. I get it. I love my job. This isn't a job to me. Y'all know I actually don't make any money. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but, but you know, we just got the show off the ground, and, and I'm paying other people, but I'm making exactly zero. got to bring in more advertisers so I can start earning some money. Um, and, but I love it, and, and I'm I'm getting up every morning and doing a show three hours a day in addition to an additional two hours in the evening, and I'm making exactly zero dollars doing the show, and I will do it. I would do it on the weekend, except I got a wife and kids, and, and I love them and want to spend time with them, but I love this show. And for me to not come to work is, is I'm, I've got to be really sick. And so I get that a teacher wants to go to work and I get that there are sick days and you may not have enough sick days. I get all this, but we're, we're kind of in this, this situation where this virus can be spread and it's not good. I mean, this teacher had to be taken by ambulance, it seems, to the hospital after calling 911. It is more than the common cold. It is more than the flu or pneumonia. Uh, and it's also very, very spreadable. So Fulton County schools have shut down uh, and they're decontaminating schools today and we'll reassess and let parents know about tomorrow. And of course, what do you do with childcare and all that? When we come back, we got to shift gears though. I want to talk about AI. You actually should. I, I may have to send out my wife's peanut butter cake recipe. She, she, Chris Burns came down to the house this weekend. She needed an excuse to make a peanut butter cake. Man, it is glorious with peanut butter, cream cheese, ice. Ah, oh, man. I got a thing for peanut butter to begin with. I'll have to do something. But text the word recipe to 33777 while you're cooped up at home with the coronavirus spreading around you. You can at least have cake. Uh, now, I, I want to shift gears from politics. Uh, we, we, we will get back to um, the news of the day, the coronavirus, everything else. But I actually am fascinated with artificial intelligence. And I'm actually most fascinated with the commentary about AI because I think a lot of it is overhyped. And, and I, I, there's a common trend I see with fear over artificial intelligence and this idea that uh, the, we're all going to be taken out by the robot overlords. It's going to be Terminator or something. And there's this, this underlying atheism that pervades so much of the commentary about artificial intelligence that, that humanity is going to build the machine that enslaves us in a godless future. Uh, and, and I reject that and, and think so much of it is being done with fear. I'm reminded, and I do believe it's an apocryphal story. Because I've tried to find it, and I've heard it from multiple people, but I can never pin down the exact source. Uh, but there is a story about FDR wanting to develop the Manhattan Project and then Harry Truman thereafter um, getting the bomb ready. And the president uh, wound up uh, pushing aside the scientists who identified as atheists in favor of scientists identified as either Jewish or Christian because he, he reasoned that they would expedite the project. And the reason that it was uh, hold is because a lot of these atheist scientists were convinced that they could blow up the planet if they weren't careful. Then the Christians would know that they couldn't. Um, and 
I, I, again, I think it's an apocryphal story because I've heard it from several different places, but I've never found the source. But but I relate it in that thinking to how we approach AI these days. And there's a great book that has come out. Let me hold this up to the camera. Uh, oh, where's the focus? There we go. Jason Thacker, uh, The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. It's written from a Christian perspective, which I appreciate. And Jason is joining me by phone from... Uh, the wonderful, wonderful area of Nashville, Tennessee. Before I begin with anything else, though, Jason, how's how's the situation up there after all the storms and tornadoes? It is definitely um, just a tough area. I mean, given the corona outbreak, we have one in my county, as well as uh, Nashville, which is just north of us, as well as the tornadoes themselves. Um, There were many homes lost. There were many families that were devastated and many deaths throughout Middle Tennessee. And so it's just kind of a somber week or two here in Nashville as we uh, continue to fight a lot of this Corona stuff as well. Well, it, it's such a fantastic place. I just, I, I love Nashville. It's one of the few places my wife says she can actually move besides where we live. Now, why, what is your fascination with artificial intelligence that led you to, to write this book? Yeah. So I kind of grew up surrounded by technology. I'm a little old to say that, Um, But my dad worked for a Fortune 500 tech company for most of my childhood. And so I always was very comfortable with technology. We had internet really early in the 90s, uh, so I was just always around it. But after I did uh, some training, I did my undergraduate, and then I did my master's degree at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and was working on ethics and theology and missions. I started to just pick up some books, kind of popular books on technology and kind of what you were saying earlier as you uh, entered the segment is a lot of these books are written from a purely kind of atheistic perspective or um, to put a fire pin on it to say a materialist perspective means simply that there is no God, there is nothing spiritual, everything comes from matter or material. And as I was reading a lot of these books, there's one, it's a very hopeless future, um, but two, there's also this just kind of underlying uh, story and kind of narrative that drives a lot of the sciences. Not all sciences. There are lots of faithful Christians who are doing really great work. But as I was doing that and reading and writing on it, I just started to under, started to see how uh, Christian faith and really a Christian moral ethic kind of applies to a lot of these conversations because technology isn't something that's far off. It's not something that's five or 10 or 15 years down the road that we have to deal with. It's something that's already affecting our communities. And I think Christians specifically, but really the wider culture needs to start thinking about these issues proactively rather than reactively. And so that's why one of the reasons I wrote the book was to really equip people to be thinking about the here and now and how artificial intelligence is already a part of our daily lives and helping us to uh, think wisely about these things. Now, how do you define artificial intelligence? It's not Terminator-style robots. I mean, it's other things that we already interact with on a daily basis, but how do you see it from your perspective? Yeah, so artificial intelligence is simply the ability of a, a machine or a computer system to exhibit certain intelligent behaviors. Now, that sounds really fancy, um, but our smart thermostats, like my Nest in my house, um, things like Siri and Alexa and a lot of those types of this, even Twitter algorithms and Google uh, and Facebook algorithms and even Google itself is run by forms of artificial intelligence, which is simply able to curate or personalize, uh, able to bring us information that thinks that 
that we want to see here that would be beneficial to us. And so we're already interacting with certain forms of artificial intelligence every single day. But often the news headlines that we see, you know, almost every image you see of AI is a red-eyed kind of killer robot ready to take over the world. You talk about the coming automation crisis, which is a real thing and we need to be proactively thinking about, but it's not going to be tomorrow that these machines kind of take over society and usher in this jobless kind of dystopian future. Because often I think our understandings of AI are driven more by sci-fi and by movies and TV shows than they are by reality. When you talk to AI researchers and developers and scientists, they're saying, hey, there's some really great ways that we're already using artificial intelligence, whether it's in communication or banking and national security uh, through a lot of our daily lives, even in our homes, our children are growing up with this technology. But there's so many kind of ethical issues and ethical quandaries that we need to be addressing and facing in our culture. This is the great part from a Christian perspective is that our culture is already asking a lot of these kind of existential or fundamental questions. And the great part is that we have, as a Christian, I can come to this with the hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and be able to speak clarity and truth into a lot of these really confusing situations. Well, two of the big ones uh, are the privacy angle of so much of uh, AI is designed with algorithms designed to sell you stuff or to to market you to advertisers, and then the the issue of replacing workers as well. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, let, let's touch on the privacy issue first because that one's so. I, I talked about a story yesterday where, for example, uh, a, a guy who jogged past a house regularly it was on the verge um, was was a, a suspect in a burglary because this house was burglarized and and the Google data showed that he went past this house on a regular basis and we're seeing more and more privacy not just being used for stuff like that by police but also uh, a privacy being abused to to sell us stuff and design algorithms in a way that actually gets us to buy stuff we don't need yeah and that's one of the biggest things that I think people need to kind of wake up to in our society is that everything we do, by and large, if it's done on digitally, it's tracked and stored in some capacity. So it's whether it's our online browser history or social media feeds, our running data, um, even simple things like in my home, we have a Nest thermostat. Uh, that There is data being compiled on this, and most of this is innocuous data. It's not going to kind of invade our privacy, but when you often take a lot of these things as a whole and start to see the massive amounts of data, I mean, even... On January 1 of this year, California um, enacted the California Consumer Privacy Act, which was the first kind of U.S. effort to push forth uh, some sort of privacy legislation in America. And even in the federal government in Washington, there's lots of debates on what and if we should have some sort of uh, federal privacy regulation similar to that of the EU. These are issues where we're realizing that almost everything we do these days is digitized and stored in some capacity. And there are a lot of inherent dangers with that, that these companies or corporations or even governments have access to massive troves of data on us, but there's also really great benefits to it. And that's what I want to do in my work and in my book specifically is cutting through a lot of the hype, cutting through a lot of the fear and addressing these issues head on and say, Hey, there are really big benefits to artificial intelligence, to data is to having this data available. Uh, that can really benefit humanity and ultimately see the dignity and worth of every human being. 
but there are ways that these things can be abused, and there's really nothing more clear than often the way that uh, the Chinese Communist Party uses data, whether it's facial recognition or uh, kind of online data or cutting their people off from certain types of information like Tiananmen Square, where you can see that this kind of control over data can be abused to demean and to oppress people made in God's image. Now, that is very well said. It, it, the Chinese concern now seeing more and more of these stories about the uh, the way they're cutting people off and, and dealing with the coronavirus situation. We, we've only got about five minutes left, though, and, and I want to shift to the other one that, that really gets a lot of attention in the media these days with uh, downsizing and outsourcing and using AI. And I, I, I got to let me premise it with this is I increasingly believe much like I think that the the self-driving car is our generation's flight car of our parents' generation that you, you, with as many dirt roads as we have and and, un, and poorly marked roads, I, I don't think we're ever really going to get to the, the massive rise in self-driving cars, but I also don't necessarily think we're going to get to the rise of the, the robot assistant. I mean, heck, half the time I ask Siri to make an appointment for me, she screws up. Um, but yet there is this drive to use technology and particularly AI now in ways to offload employment capacity for employers, and it also fosters resentment yeah it really does and i think that's one of the biggest fears that people have in this age of ai is how is our robots and even really artificial intelligence going to replace or at least take part of our jobs i mean reality is that we're using computer technology to do things today that in years past we would have a person doing and that's just the simple fact of automation. And this has been true throughout America, uh, throughout U- U.S. history, but even world history in terms of the Industrial Revolution and kind of the automation of factories and different um, kind of things like that. And so what's, I think, the, the most important thing for us to approach when we're thinking about work is that often our society and culture likes to dictate our value and our worth based on what we do, what we contribute to society. It's a very utilitarian type argument. But from a Christian perspective, that's just not how we view work. Work is a thing that we've been called to do. We don't look forward to a jobless future or a, a future of pure leisure. We are created to work, and it's part of who we are is made in God's image. And so one of the things that we need to keep is we need to be kind of level-headed when we think about these things. There are going to be jobs lost. There always have been, and, you know, that probably will expand pretty exponentially is that we see more and more things being able to be automated and used with AI. And so what we need to keep important is that work is good for us and it's something that we're created to do, but also we are creative. We're resilient human beings and people. That's one of the things that's a marker and a finer of who we are. And so there are jobs that are available today that weren't available five or ten years ago, and that will continue to be the case. And so I think From a Christian perspective, the church has a very unique role that we can step in and care for people who do lose their jobs, help to seek retraining. Um, You see a lot of, even through the Andrew Yang uh, presidential campaign, this idea of the freedom dividend, or it's just kind of a respawning of issues of the universal basic income. These are very common kind of uh, understandings of how the government should be stepping in or corporations should be stepping in to care for people. But the church has a unique role in caring for the oppressed, caring for those who lose their jobs to help seek retraining and uh, to help people see that their ultimate worth and dignity is not based on what they do, but in created by who they 
who they've been created by and what they're created to do. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Jason Thacker. He's got a great new book out, The Age of AI. If you want to get a copy of it off Amazon, if you text the word data to 33777, I'll send you back the link to Amazon. It really is worth reading as we think about this stuff. Jason, we've only got about a minute left. If you could leave people with one thing, point to ponder on, on AI, what would it be? I think the biggest thing that we need to address uh, in this age of AI is who we are as uh, creating God's image or being uniquely made. Uh, often our culture wants to define who we are based on what we do or what we contribute, or even looking at us as simply machines or uh, kind of a fancy term of organic algorithms, which basically means there's nothing unique or special about us. That's just simply not true. There is a God. He is reigning. He is ruling. And as a Christian, I already know the end of the story. So I don't have to approach technology with fear or with trembling. I can approach it with hope and excitement to see how we can use these tools, as we always have, to seek the good of God and the love of neighbor, recognizing their dignity, value, and worth as created in God's image. Jason, thank you very much for, one, for taking the time to write the book, because, uh, you know, I, I, I very much do think it's a, a thoughtful approach, and having read up a lot on this, I, I'm glad to finally see one from a faith-based perspective as opposed to the dystopian future perspective. But thank you also for stopping by and talking about this. I appreciate it tremendously. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. It's good to talk to you. Absolutely. So the the book, again, it is uh, The Age of AI. Uh, Jason Thacker, he works at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it is a very, very thoughtful book. Zondervan published it. And I've talked about that on, on this program before. There's so much commentary out there on artificial intelligence, and so much of it is from a, a secular, godless, atheist perspective of doom and gloom. The robot overlords are going to come for us and, and take us all over, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so I'm really actually glad to see a book like this out there. It's the first one, to my knowledge, that's actually written from a, a Christian perspective on how do we actually deal with these issues. I highly recommend it. I've actually got a full disclosure. I've got a blurb in it recommending it to people. Um, but you can text the word if you want to get a copy of this. You'll also get the coronavirus um, link as well for the, the global update. Um, but I added Jason's book in there as well. If you text the word data, D-A-T-A, to 33777, you'll get the Johns Hopkins University link to the coronavirus spread. But you'll also get a link to Amazon for Jason's book. And, and I really do encourage it. If you've been thinking about this AI subject, this is really one to get you thinking in a way that's actually more grounded in reality than so much of what's out there. It is Eric Erickson here waiting very patiently on the phones. Uh, David in Kennesaw, sorry to make you wait so long, but thank you for calling in. Hey, thank you, Eric. I, I uh, enjoyed that last conversation. Thank I you. I do think it's important. You know, the if we have the idea that we're made in God's image, it makes a lot of difference in how yeah. we live our lives. Yeah. As opposed that. to the killer robot army. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Hey, and I was, in, I was in Nashville about two weeks ago and made the drive from Nashville to uh, Kennesaw, and there's a nice distillery that's not too bad of a of a detour, George Dickel. Have you ever been to that one? No, I haven't, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Well, I, yeah, it was fun to go there. My wife usually likes the wineries, but I talked her into letting us go there too. Yeah, wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's not why you called though. No. So, um, yeah, with all of the hyper-focus on coronavirus, um, you know, it drowns out other things in the news and, and I'm aware of a, of a drug that was a, it's, it's actually, it's been approved for over five years, and it was expand, the approval was expanded last year. 
Uh, it addresses heart disease and actually preventing heart attacks. It's called Vasipa, and what it is is highly purified EPA, EPA, which is a component of fish oil. Mm-hmm. And it was shown in a study. The study had over 8,000 patients, and over five years, people who were on the Vasipa versus placebo had about 25% less either a heart attack or deaths from from heart attack. And so it's, um, yeah, the, the FDA, again, expanded the approval last year. So what it essentially does is lowers triglycerides. Uh-huh. So I just, I'm not, sh- you know, I, they have been doing some commercials, um, but I think they're limited in yeah, in they're, they're limited in, in how they can do stuff like that. You know, it's funny you should say this, David. As just a, a total aside here, so since I was a kid, my mother is uh, cod liver oil is is I mean the 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 be all end all. And whenever any of the kids get sick now, it's it's oh you have to take your cod liver oil. And you know it, it, right. it's funny you say that as well because we we are so focused on these other healthcare things that we, we the media is dropping stories. There are only so many, but you know with the twenty four hour news cycle, it's kind of ironic I think that the there's less media coverage of global news stories in a 24 hour economy in a 24 hour news cycle than there was uh, 20 years ago. You had a more expansive coverage of, of uh, global news and things like this. A, a new drug comes on the market uh, that shows that it can have a positive impact on, on heart disease. Uh, you have a situation in, in, I don't know, Uganda, uh, you you got a coup somewhere in the world, a, a government election somewhere else on the planet. All of that stuff, it seems like that used to get covered more when you had a 30-minute newscast with 10 minutes of commercial, so a 20-minute newscast, uh, than it does now where it's wall-to-wall coverage of one particular topic. And in particular, in the age of Trump, the news coverage is very specifically focused on the political angle of everything. And, you know, I, I, I didn't want to, but but I probably will when we come back. The This idea, I don't know if you've heard it, I talked about it a little bit yesterday, that uh, MSNBC and NBC reporters are now declaring Wuhan virus. If you use the phrase Wuhan virus, which you're going to hear me start doing more, I'm sure, uh, calling it the Wuhan virus, they're, they're now saying it's racist if you call it the Wuhan virus. Uh, and never mind that we call Ebola Ebola because it comes from a river in Africa. Uh, the Zika virus is named after a region of Uganda. Uh, give you one guess as to where the West Nile virus gets its name. In fact, viruses, uh, get their designated names from where they originate. So Lyme disease, for example, uh, is named after Lyme, Connecticut, where the first cases came from. Well, we know that the Wuhan virus originated in Wuhan, and, but the media goes off the rails in this stuff, and there's always a Trump angle. Uh, everyone was using the phrase Wuhan virus in January and February. It was only when the Trump administration started using it regularly that people in the media decided that it was racist. And that says more about them than it does the name Wuhan virus. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, uh, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to reach out and, and call, the phone number is 877 97 Eric. 
877-973-7425. I, I stumbled because I was going to say reach out and touch someone. And then I thought, man, that's a phrase from when I was a kid. All the people younger than me are going to be completely confused. <laughs> um, real quick. So Scott Riven, he, uh, if you listen down in the Brunswick area, you know Scott's voice on the radio at WGIG in, in Brunswick. Uh, and he just uh, tweeted a, a story to me. Uh, regarding uh, putting this in proper perspective, and he's so right on this, uh, that when we talk about the death toll of the coronavirus in the United States, keep in mind that overwhelmingly they have come from a single nursing home in Seattle. A spokesman for the Kirkland, Washington nursing homes uh, that is the site of the worst uh, Wuhan virus outbreak in the United States said Monday that 31 residents still in the facility have tested positive. In a news conference at the Life Care Center, they announced that the 35 residents, 31 positive, one negative, three inconclusive. Before the outbreak, there were 120 residents. Now there are fewer than 60. Statewide, there have been 162 confirmed cases of COVID-19. Authorities said 19 deaths have been linked to the Life Care Center. 19 deaths in the United States from that one center. And that should give you some perspective on this. Uh, if you listen to the media and, you know, I'm trying to thread the needle here, by the way, I should note that yesterday uh, we were at 650 cases and now we're up to 761 confirmed cases in the United States and 27 deaths. And again, most of those 27 deaths come from uh, this nursing facility in uh, in Washington state. And I, I'm, I am trying to thread the needle and I'm getting beat up by both sides on it and I'm okay getting beat up by both sides. Uh, because I, I think it is absolutely necessary to be as truthful and honest as possible and avoid the partisan machinations on both sides that so many people are going into. This virus is more deadly and, and more severe and more painful to get, frankly, than the flu or the uh, or pneumonia. It is not nearly as as much of a killer as if you listen to the media they would have you believe. Uh, by the way, um, I, I'm assuming by now you know that uh, we, we're we having runs on toilet paper in grocery stores around the country now, including now here in Georgia. Now, I for, for if, you, if you ever wanted to know where I live, I won't give you my home address, but I, I live in Macon. I live in North Macon. And I live in a, in a neighborhood that is directly across the street from a Publix grocery store. And Publix, if God were to lay out a grocery store, it would be my local Publix. It is the, the greatest grocery store. The people are wonderful. The aisles are clean. Uh, everyone is so nice. I, I'm kind of aggravated because they rearranged everything in the grocery store now. And I've had a, I've had a little app that I use. There, there's a great app. If you, if you ever wanted to do this, because I'm a nerd and I'm just going to go on and embrace it. Uh, shut up, Philip. Uh, I use a list. I use an app called AnyList. And any list is a grocery store app. And, and my wife gets aggravated with me using this app, but I love it. So I, I've got this app called any list and it assigns your groceries to the category. So for example, if I need a tomato sauce, it's going to put it in the canned goods section. If I need sugar, it's going to be in the baking section. If I need ketchup, it's going to assign it to the condiment section. And if there's something that I need and it doesn't know, it's going to put it in another category and I can go back in and I can say, well, this is on the international foods aisle. And then I can arrange the aisles in the order that I go through the grocery store. So I can get in and out really quick. I just go through, okay, in produce, here's what I got. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. I got to run by the deli. Boom. Boom. 
Uh, these are all the things I need in the canned goods aisle. These are all the things I need in the bacon aisle. This is all the frozen food stuff I need. Well, the problem is I had it all arranged to my local Publix, and then they changed the aisles around. And I understand why they changed the aisles around on occasion, because they want you to see new stuff, and then they want more uniformity and where stuff is laid out in the store compared to the other grocery. But it just completely discombobulated me for several weeks. But it's a wonderful grocery store. And I noticed when I went into Publix the other day that they were out of uh, Lysol and Clorox wipes. They were not out of toilet paper at the time, although I got a text from a neighbor this morning who said the supplies are running low. They have been out of hand sanitizer for two weeks uh, as people are going in and buying stuff. I don't know that they're even getting more hand sanitizer, and maybe they are. But uh, it, it is certainly around the country where there are outbreaks of coronavirus. The, the North Atlanta suburbs, by the way, their grocery stores just out of, of uh, wipes. They're out of, of Clorox wipes. They're out of bleach. They're out of toilet paper. They're out of hand sanitizer. Uh, places are running low on all sorts of stuff. And, and a lot of it is panic buying. In fact, Clorox stock, though the, the uh, market has been tanking, Clorox has been skyrocketing on the stock market. And there's a Clorox facility south of the Atlanta airport that has said they are running uh, 24 hours a day now trying to keep up with supply. The panic buying of this stuff, and, and here's part of the problem, is you're, you're buying on a panic and you're stockpiling. And with toilet paper, you'll eventually use it. You know, we get toilet paper from Amazon. Uh, Amazon has a subscribe and save option, and I haven't bought paper goods at the grocery store in a long time because I can actually get them cheaper from Amazon. And every month they send us paper towels and toilet paper. And I'm not going to go buy another round of toilet paper um, when, when we got plenty right now. There's no reason. But I, I say all of that to, to make a point here uh, about the coronavirus and its impact on the economy and everything else. And that is, will you guys please do me a favor? In all honesty, when you go to the grocery store and you're buying for yourself, Will you buy for your local food bank too? Will you buy for your local shelter? Will you buy for your local homeless shelter? For the Salvation Army? For the local food bank? For the local community kitchen? Will you consider buying canned goods or at least donating to them to help them out? Because if this virus does keep us in our communities, there are going to be people who don't have the means to go buy extra stuff at the grocery store every week. And they're going to need to rely on someone to help them. And it's probably going to be a local nonprofit. So I don't care where you are in the city of Georgia. My, my in-laws live in Carrollton, and they work at the community soup kitchen. And they've got a great network of people who help them at the local uh, community soup kitchen. And uh, they... They're going to be making meals. My, my in-laws are in charge every Monday in the Carrollton Soup Kitchen. And there are a lot of soup kitchens around this state, and they get donated stuff from restaurants, and they get donated stuff from grocery stores, and they get support from the local community. And please don't forget them right now. Everyone gets in a panic, and, and people tend to get selfish when they get panicky, and they worry about themselves and their families and stockpiling for themselves. But you actually are your brother's keeper. And you actually do need to take care of people in your community. So whether you're in Athens or, or North Georgia or South Georgia or Middle Georgia, wherever, there are, there are food banks, there are homeless shelters, there are nonprofits. And please remember them uh, in your giving and in your support for food banks and, and the food you can give. I, I know at my local Publix now, uh, and you, I always feel guilty. Is it just, it, maybe it's just me. 
But I go in and like they're raising money now for the local food bank. And I gave. And every time I go in, they ask if, if I want to give them. And I don't say, well, I already gave. And I just say, no, not right now. And then I feel bad. Are they, are they judging me because I'm saying no? Because I've already given. <laughs> and then they want to give me the, the reusable bag. I, I, y'all, I use the plastic bags and it, and it drives me crazy to see the people out there agitating against the single-use plastic bags because I get multiple uses out of plastic bags. Uh, I like my plastic bags. I have so many reusable shopping bags from Publix, and I've got some from Kroger as well, and I never reuse them. We've just got a pile of them in the closet in the house because occasionally you donate money. For example, they were given, we were donating money uh, at Publix a while back. I forget, school supplies or something last year. And so you got, uh, we got two based on what we donated. We got two of the reusable shopping bags. I've never used the reusable shopping bags. I, and I see people go into the store and they've got a pile of the reusable shopping bags and they're so diligent and they're good about them. And I'm just thinking, have you stuck them in the washing machine and washed them? Cause they're kind of gross. If you don't do that, they, they spread more germs than the single use ones. I would much prefer the plastic bags that I can just throw away, except I don't throw them away. You know, when we had, when we had small kids, they became what we put the dirty diapers in. Uh, and now they're, they're what we put trash in. Uh, various pieces of trash and scraps and things like that. Or <coughs> we use them around the house for things. I, I, I'm a big fan of the plastic bag. And it really makes me mad that there are a bunch of irresponsible people out there who litter with them. So that now you got all these, these left-wing socialists out there saying, we need to get rid of these plastic bags. They ruin the environment. No, they don't. They help me around the house. You don't take my plastic bag away. I don't like the reusable bags. They're dirty, they're gross, they're unsanitary, and I forget to wash them anyway. I was not actually expecting to do a, this is why you tune in. To, you never know what I'm going to talk about. It is random. Let, let me get back to the show notes of what I was going to talk about in this hour right now. I know what I was going to talk about. The Kelly Leffler, Doug Collins situation. Nikki Haley was in Cobb County yesterday, generated a massive crowd to support Kelly Leffler. And do you know what the attack on, by the way, I, I got to tell you, uh, I find this actually very, very funny and maybe I shouldn't. I feel bad for Doug Collins. Doug Collins, if you haven't heard, uh, the congressman from, from House District 9, that's up in Northeast Georgia, Habersham County area, uh, Doug in Gainesville area, Doug Collins is in self-quarantine. Dun, dun, dun. Doug Collins apparently came into contact with someone at the uh, CPAC event who had the coronavirus, uh, the Wuhan flu, I want to call it the Kung flu, and I'm afraid that would just make all sorts of minds, ex brains explode. But uh, Doug Collins, there's no evidence he has it, but he is in now self-quarantine, as is Ted Cruz. There are a number of them, Matt Gatz, Paul Gosar, Doug Collins, Ted Cruz. Apparently, this guy who had the virus was in the green room at CPAC. Uh, there are rumors that he's a doctor who who is uh, a friend of Ted Cruz's. I don't really know who it is, uh, but there are a number of people now who are self-quarantining. Now, it's been nine, ten days, and no one seems to have the, the Wuhan flu, so we're okay probably. But nonetheless, uh, Leffler supported this. I mean, y'all... <laughs> Maybe I I, sh I find it funny. I feel bad for Collins that it's happening now. But there's a picture of him on Friday shaking President Trump's hand as President Trump gets off Air Force One, and now the and it, the AJC actually used the picture. The headline in the Atlanta Journal Constitution is Congressman Doug Collins self quarantines over coronavirus fear, and the picture is him shaking hands with the president on Friday. 
And so the National Republican Senatorial Committee and, and, and Kelly Leffler fans are circulating the picture saying, did Doug Collins give Donald Trump the Wuhan virus? That's irresponsible of Doug. Shame on Doug Collins. Oh, whatever. Listen, I'm supporting Kelly Leffler, but Doug Collins is a great guy, and I'm not going to beat up Doug Collins, but I am going to beat up his, compa- his campaign for just a minute. It is the height of stupidity, I think, to attack Kelly Leffler for having a private jet. One, I'm jealous of her having a private jet. Y'all, I can't tell you how much I want a private jet. Uh, Charlie's going to kill me if I get on this tirade because he, he's tired of hearing me talk about it. But, oh my goodness, um, the number of people who just approach me at airports, and I don't like crowds to begin with. Uh, and and the last time I flew back from Colorado a couple weeks ago, and this woman puked her guts up the entire way back to Atlanta. If y'all haven't heard about this, I went out to the leadership, um, uh, the the uh, summit of the, what, what's it called? Um, hang on, I got it right here. Leadership program of the Rockies. And I gave a speech out in Colorado Springs a couple of weeks ago. And I flew home and it was an overnight trip, and I flew back. This woman sat next to me and puked her guts up the entire way back. We were stranded on the runway for a while because of high winds, so the flight was delayed. It was turbulent. It should have been like a three-hour ride. It was like four and a half hours, uh, plus uh, like 30 extra minutes on the ground. She was throwing up the entire time. Altitude sickness. Altitude sickness. Uh, and when it got turbulent, and then when we tried to start landing in Atlanta, it got worse, and she vomited the whole time. And I really felt bad for her. I really, really felt bad for her. And I wished my wife was there because my wife always carries Zofran with her and could have given it to her to stop her from throwing up. Um, man, I felt bad and, and, and sad for her. But still, I want to fly on a private jet. And, and Kelly Leffler bought herself a medium-sized private jet. I think she can fly across the country in this jet. Can't make it to Europe in this jet. But she's using it to fly around the state. And, and Colin's friends are now attacking her for being out of touch with the average Georgian. Let's be honest. If Collins could fly on a private jet, he would be flying on a private jet. And there's a level of jealousy in the attacks about Leffler here. And where these attacks come from, they're not very original. Uh, Claire McCaskill, the senator from Missouri, uh, used her, she and her husband are very, very wealthy and her husband had a private jet and she flew with the private jet everywhere. And the Republican national, national Republican senatorial committee, the NRSC made it a campaign attack on Claire McCaskill air Claire, they called it. But the underlying premise of the attack is that Claire McCaskill never actually got out in Missouri. She lived in Washington and would fly back and do these events and then hop on the plane and fly back to Washington. She didn't actually hang out with the people of Missouri. She really had lost touch with the people of Missouri. Uh, I think that the Leffler pivot here is to say, you're damn right, I've got a private plane and I can be in Waycross and I can be in Brunswick and I can be in Bainbridge and then I can be in Rome and then I can be in Clarksville and then I can be in Athens and then I can be in Macon and then I can be in Atlanta and then I can be in Columbus and then over to Savannah all in a single day seeing my constituents and finding out what's going on with them. I mean, she's got a great comeback if they use it. This whole idea of, of Kelly, of Leffler Airlines, as they're calling it or some such, that she's this out-of-touch elitist flying a private plane. I want a private plane. That's why I need to get into national syndication. The money's not there anymore to have my own private plane, but by God, I could get a NetJet subscription. 
and I'm res- I'm jealous that she has one. But I think the whole attack on her is absurd uh, from the Collins people. If that's the best they've got, he's going to lose in November and, and may need to rethink things. It's just kind of sad to see that sort of jealousy, elitist attack from a woman who just bought this plane and now she can get back and forth and see her constituents and get all over the state at the drop of a hat. Uh, if she uses it that way, she's going to totally neutralize the argument. But it is silly on their side to be attacking Collins for infecting the president when he hasn't. It's just silly attacks all around. Is this the best either side can do right now? Man, you're seeing these sorts of stories and it just, it, it drive you crazy. Uh, it, it's a remarkable statement to the father in Atlanta who... He came back and um, from Italy, from Milan, and and kind of uh, went into exile, a, a self-imposed quarantine, and he he, did, he turned out to be infected. His son got sick. How was his wife and daughter doing? I uh, hope they're doing well. But uh, he did this, and, and now, meanwhile, out of Missouri, there's this ridiculous story. Uh, oh, it makes me mad. Um, a Missouri man ignored health officials' directions to self-quarantine when he and his daughter attended a school dance after his other daughter tested positive for coronavirus. Villa Duchesne and Oak Hill School wrote on Facebook, classes were canceled Monday. The school was weighing its next decision after the father-daughter dance Saturday night. In a separate post, the school canceled classes for the remainder of the week. Our campus will be given a hospital-grade cleaning. School buildings will be sanitized and ready for students to return March 23rd. St. Louis County Executive Sam Page said in a live stream news conference, the infected woman contacted health officials Thursday after becoming symptomatic. She and her family were instructed to self-quarantine And Page said officials relied on common sense and goodwill, assuming the whole family would comply. The way the families reacted to this situation is really a tale of two reactions. It's a study of how people should and should not react. The woman was informed of the presumptive positive result Saturday and followed health officials' instructions to say quarantine. He added she was to be commended for complying. But the woman's father and his other daughter attended the school dance Saturday night at the Ritz-Carlton. The two left the dance after they learned the woman's presumptive positive results. There are nearly 114,000 confirmed corona cases worldwide, 738 in the U.S. as of late Monday. Um, The father has been informed to stay home or a formal quarantine will be issued that will require him to stay in their home by force of law. Health officials were in contact with the woman and her family multiple times per day since Thursday and repeatedly told them to self-quarantine. The father and daughter were also at a pre-gathering at the student's home. Good Lord. That's just, that, that's, that's amazing, uh, crazy uh, that they did this. And, and okay, let, can we just be honest here? Can we get to the JC? If you're having, this is a very well-to-do part of Missouri. They're having their... Uh, high school dance at a Ritz Carlton. And this is some some rich dad who I guess presumed he's above the law or some such. And, and here's the problem. In all honesty, let, let's say the that other kids now or, or teachers get the virus. And maybe they won't. I mean, we're really being lucky here with the transmission rates. But But if they did, I mean, think of the social shaming that his kids are now going to go through. Because everybody's going to know it's them. 
And in, in local communities, how people can be, particularly in communities like this, all the cattiness of these, these well-to-do local communities, man, uh, it, it's this guy has done his whole family no favors with that level of arrogance to ignore the need to be self-quarantined. Absolutely. Um, people want to play this down at their own expense and the expense of other people as well. And that's part of the problem we're dealing with right now. People are stupid. Can I just note that I, I wish instead of being called the coronavirus, it was called the Bud Light virus, so maybe people would actually develop a better taste in beer. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can move on to other stuff. I, I got something here, and I can't remember what this is. So, you know, I outlined the show, and I put in links to stuff so that I can click and go to the article because I used to print everything out, and then I thought, my Lord, I'm running through toner and paper. I, I'm, I, I, can, I can handle this, and I got one, and now I can't remember what the story is, and it says a reminder that people are stupid and i have no idea what it's about well let's go see i'm i'm assuming it's it's about something no i'm sorry it is oh it's another coronavirus story but bear with me people are stupid this is from cbs news holy moly the headline let me just read you the headline reminder People are stupid. This this is I I didn't know what this was. I I, I listed this article to talk about. Um, people are stupid. This is the headline from CBS News. Coronavirus cannot be cured by drinking bleach or snorting cocaine. <laughs> Despite social media, I wonder if I could get cocaine down the street. Y'all know if you're just too if you missed me the other day. So last Wednesday I was up in Athens. And I had to do my evening show in Athens. I was speaking to the University of Georgia College Republicans. And I'm on, and my wife texts Philip, who who runs the digital property side of things and the resurgent for me. And uh, she texts him because she knows I'm on air and says, Did, has he said anything that would cause us to have to have police at the house? And so I was like, I know. And so then I went into commercial break, and I called her. I says, what? And in my wife's first reaction, there were there was a canine police officer from Bibb County, from the Bibb County Sheriff's Office, parked at the, the um, just up our driveway. Not, not on our driveway, just kind of on, on the curb right by our mailbox. And my wife thought, you know, we have, I have said stuff in the past that's gotten us death threats. And uh, the Bibb County Sheriff's Office, God bless them, they, they've come and, and parked a car by our house. Uh, we, we, for three months during 2016, actually had to have security guards at our house um, and private security. But it, so, in any event, so my wife calls and I'm like, no, I haven't said anything. But that's her first reaction is, what have you done to cause the police to feel the need to come protect us? Oh, wives, I love my wife. but they, and, and, you know, honestly, any of you who know me understand that is a reasonable reaction for my wife to have. What have I done to cause us to get police? Well, it turns out that there's a house. I mean, it is uh, from my studio where, where, where I'm broadcasting from my house. There's a There are two vacant lots, and then up the street on the corner, there's a house. I've, I've never actually seen the people who live there. But apparently there was this big uh, middle Georgia drug raid and, and people there got wrapped up in it. Meth and marijuana and uh, reselling of stolen firearms. And, you know, there's been a, a ring of, of people in our neighborhood who are breaking into cars, stealing guns out of cars. And I don't know if it's related or not, um, but but I believe that was from what I read one of the charges. I, but I'm the, who knew I could go get weed and, and cocaine and methamphetamines right through the vacant lot? I had no idea. <laughs> 
I mean, not that I would, but seriously. Well, now apparently, I mean, had I not known the, the coronavirus, I mean, if somebody around here is selling cocaine, get rid of the coronavirus, except you can't. And people are believing this stuff. People really are stupid. Uh, in the wake of Russia's meddling in the 2016 election, Facebook and Twitter have been forced to respond to the proliferation of fake news on their platforms. And while many probably assume the bulk of that misinformation is political in focus, trolls and bots on social media have actually been linked to the marketing of vaping products, the anti-vaccination movement, and now fake cures for coronavirus. A quick glance at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok TikTok will provide a slew of fake cures from garlic to mass. We'll use the word self-pleasuring bleach and even cocaine. Uh, Some prominent QAnon YouTuber, Jordan Jordan Sather, for example, tweeted to his more than 121,000 followers that a miracle mineral solution, which effectively involves drinking bleach, can wipe out COVID-19, the disease caused by coronavirus. Not only is chlorine dioxide an effective cancer cell killer, it can wipe out coronavirus too. Big Pharma wants you ignorant. Holy moly. The FDA has long warned that drinking chlorine dioxide products can lead to severe vomiting, severe diarrhea, life-threatening low blood pressure caused by dehydration and acute liver failure. Yet with each new outbreak or high-profile illness that arises, these products are seemingly promoted on social media and sold uh, by independent distributors anew. Sadly, drinking bleach isn't the only dangerous cure that bad actors are peddling online to the population increasingly anxious about the current outbreak. The most recent rumor spreading at rapid pace is that cocaine will counteract COVID-19. <laughs> You know, a buddy of mine, this is me and text. He says, you know, actually drinking bleach will cure it and also clean up the gene pool. (laughs) On Facebook, where a third-party fact-checking program is in place, many of these posts now have false information warnings that serve both to warn users of the content's unreliability and to deprioritize them in the platform's algorithm. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg addressed the issue in a March 3rd post, saying the company's working with national ministries of health. On Twitter, however, some of those prominent posts spreading dangerous misinformation have gone unchecked, even from verified accounts. Bizzle Osikoya. I'm sorry, but if you're taking advice from someone named Bizzle, you probably... <laughs> can't say that on the radio. (laughs) He's a Nigerian music and entertainment developer. 190,000 followers. I've got more followers than this Bizzle character. He tweeted a doctored image, which purports to be a screenshot of a breaking news segment on TV. It's got nearly 6,000 likes, 3,000 retweets, remains on the platform for more than a month without any sort of warning. And the doctored photo has a pile of cocaine, a rolled up $1 bill with some lines, and it says, breaking news, cocaine kills coronavirus. For the first time Sunday, Twitter rolled out a manipulated media label. However, this label can still be problematic. 
and that it may give users a false sense of security that all posts without it are accurate. Oh, good Lord. <sighs> According to the Washington Post, an investigation by the U.S. State Department found that a staggering 2 million tweets in circulation during a three-week period between January 20th and February 10th propagated coronavirus conspiracy theories and misinformation. By the way, can I say something that's going to make you all mad? People are, uh, and it's not people are stupid. We all acknowledge people are stupid. Let me just, do you remember when Obama was president? And we had the Ebola guy, the, the doctor with Ebola, who's a Christian missionary from Arizona, and they flew him to Atlanta to the CDC, uh, where he was in isolation. He had Ann Coulter and other, other uh, conservatives out there say, we can't bring this guy back to the United States. We're all going to die of Ebola if he comes to the United States because Obama was in charge. You and I both know darn well that if Barack Obama were in charge right now with the coronavirus, the roles would be reversed and MSNBC would be telling everybody everything is hunky-dory and Republicans would want to be torpedoing that plague ship in San Francisco and killing all the people on board lest they come in the country and give us coronavirus. The very same people who right now are saying, oh, it's no big deal, it's just the common cold, would be in full jade-helmed conspiracy mode if Barack Obama were president and the roles on the other, the shoe on the other foot the democrats right now who are we're all gonna die would be thinking oh this is just the common cold it's no big deal it's overinflated by fox news i mean everybody's looking at this stuff politically and then you got the idiots on social media saying drink bleach and snort cocaine i'm kind of actually with them on that because if you're dumb enough to believe that no i shouldn't say that's not very christian of me is it but come on people seriously the conspiracy theories, and here's the other thing. If this virus does get worse, you're going to have a lot of the people who this week are saying, oh, it's just the common cold. The only people are going to die from it are my grandparents, and who cares about them? I mean, obviously, you know, there are people who are saying stuff like this. I've seen people I know on social media say, ah, unless you're, you're my grandparents' age, there's nothing to worry about, and who cares about them? They don't live with me. Um, I'm seeing people, and I'm being somewhat sarcastic, and other, but that's basically it. Of Who cares if the old people get it? I wonder, someone at some point is going to concoct an elaborate conspiracy theory that the people who are worried about the Social Security deficit came up with the coronavirus to, to save the Social Security fund. You know what's going to happen, the crazy conspiracy theories. Then you got this guy, Joseph Fair. He's on MSNBC. Listen to this. I, I'd say we're, you know, we're honestly behind the curve. Um, I have full faith in Dr. Fauci, Dr. Redfield, uh, Dr. Burks. They're all consummate public health professionals that this is not their first rodeo, as we would say, and they uh, have done this many times before. That being said, getting testing up and running is the most essential step and getting it testing, uh, getting testing up and running in every place we can in every city, in every um, public health laboratory around the country is key for us to understand how widespread this epidemic is. This is not to fear monger. This is it would be irresponsible for us to to create panic when it's undue. That being said, we know 80 percent of the population is going to survive and a typically a 15 to 20 percent rate of mortality for those individuals that are both elderly or have underlying condition. 15 to 20 percent, he says, actually, uh, the 15 percent number is being floated by a lot of people. And we're seeing that globally. We're not seeing anywhere near as high as 20 percent anywhere. Uh, and there's a level of fear factor when you do this. And, and again, I mean, the entire theme of this show, I really did not n intend to spend the entire time on this. You know, Ralph Real Warnock, the Democrat that everybody's rallying around, has an arrest record. Uh, his his wife claims that, that he, he ran over her foot in an argument, and, and I wanted to get there, and, and hopefully I'll still get there. But I, I got to spend just a few more moments on this. The the 
as much as there are so many people out there downplaying this as it is not a big deal and you're not going to get it and don't worry about it. If you do get it, it's just the common cold. There are people out there who, uh, and they're all on the Democratic side. Well, I shouldn't say that because I've got some friends who are in total panic mode about this and they're, they're conservatives, but they don't like the president and they're convinced he's going to screw this all up. That's, by the way, one brilliant reason he put Mike Pence in charge and let even yet in yesterday's press conferences, letting Pence be the face man for this stuff. But seriously, the, the we're all going to die stuff. No, we're not all going to die. No, we're, 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 there's no reason to panic. There's no reason to stockpile toilet paper. There's no reason to stockpile bleach. There's no reason to snort coke. At least not for the coronavirus. There's not a reason to snort coke. <laughs> who comes up with this? I mean, seriously, who comes up with this stuff? Hey, you know what? I need a division. I need a, a, an infowar style division for this radio program that can concoct crazy conspiracy theories that we can circulate on the internet uh, for for um, for for distribution and meme building and growth of the show. Like, <clears throat> apparently, if you eat your own, this is the true story. R. Kelly. Apparently, there's a report out. You know, R. Kelly. There's that documentary. My wife has been obsessed with the R. Kelly uh, documentary series that was on, and, and apparently, one of the things he purportedly made some victim of his do was eat her own poop. And I guarantee you that that's going to come out soon, that that if you do this, it will cure you of the coronavirus because what germs would be in your body? I'm going to gag things. I, I got to move on to other stuff. But seriously, I mean, people are unhinged over this stuff and the conspiracy theories. And it is a reminder that people are stupid. And and yet I would much prefer to live in a in a democracy where a bunch of stupid people get together and vote for the the, the least stupid person they can think of than to live in a dictatorship where it's one stupid person in charge of you. I say all the time, by the way, the reason I'm a conservative is because I'm a Christian and I know we're all sinners and I want as few sinners in charge of me as possible. But I also am a conservative because I realize that people are stupid and I want as few stupid people in charge of me as possible. Now, we got other news here. The Georgia House has decided to, I didn't even know this wasn't only, I bet you it's legal in Alabama still. The Georgia House has approved legislation that would make it illegal for foster parents to have sexual contact with the children they're caring for. The legislation is part of a package of bills backed by Governor Brian Kemp as he aims to overhaul the state's foster care system. House Bill 911. Do you think like the, so the, um, the Bill Heath legislation on guns is Senate Bill 357. 357 Magnum. And so the House bill is 911. Do you think they picked the numbers to highlight the themes here? House bill 911 would make it illegal for a foster parent to engage in a sexual activity with those in their care, closing a loophole the legislation sponsor said exists once a child in foster care. 16, Georgia's legal age of consent. Holy moly. Ackworth Republican Ed Setzler God bless him, said that in rare instances where a foster parent has inappropriate sexual contact with those in his or her care, there currently is no legal recourse. Over the last number of years, we've passed bills to prohibit teachers, counselors, probation officers, medical personnel, and others from engaging in sexual contact with people under their care. This bill simply closes the loophole in prohibiting foster parents from the same thing. The legislation imposes penalties depending on the extent of the offense, up to 25 years in prison and $100,000 in fine. So when the child is older than 16, First Lady Marty Kemp, who worked on the legislation with Sessler, praised its passage. I had no idea this was—I had no idea. Good Lord. 
Yes, I, I, I am a, a in total support of passing this legislation. Goodness gracious. Um, yep, good for them. By the way, there's also, and I need to spend time on this tomorrow. Please circle back here tomorrow uh, during the show, and I'll, I'll make sure it, it, it's when I get maximum exposure. Uh, there is a piece of legislation. It's another piece of legislation by Ed Sessler, uh, House Bill 1086. It's post-conviction civil asset forfeiture. I am a big opponent of civil asset forfeiture, and the Supreme Court increasingly is as well, where states take people's property. Even though they've been found not guilty of crimes, the state takes all their property uh, away from them and sells it, and it it's bad. And a lot of governments and, and prosecutors and police are opposed to passing laws that prohibit civil asset forfeiture. I'm a big proponent of it, and I'm glad to see this legislation making its way. But I guarantee you, uh, local district attorneys and sheriff's offices are about to march on the Capitol in opposition of it, and we need to hold our ground and support the legislation. I, I will bring you up to speed on that stuff tomorrow. And I'm sorry. I did, Maybe I shouldn't apologize to you guys, but I feel like everybody's tired of the coronavirus coverage and I am too, but there's so much news that is out about it that you got to spend time bringing you up to speed, particularly now as you got idiots out there telling you to drink bleach and snort cocaine. Somebody's got to tell you not to do that. And it's left up to dear old me. Well, the Dow had been up several hundred points earlier at 11.55 a.m. here. It is now only up 11 points. NASDAQ up 34 points. The S&P up five points. The New York Stock Exchange overall down 14 points. But still, the president intends to come up with a economic stimulus package uh, that is is mostly going to address employers. You know, here's the thing, and, and <clears throat> Chris Burns came on the other day and talked about this, and I'm glad he did, and I had him on this morning as well. And, and seriously, if you heard the if you heard his commercial, uh, text Dynamic to 555-888. Uh, they are, uh, Dynamic Money will come into your business. If you're a business owner and your employees are freaked out about 401ks and retirement planning, uh, Chris Burns will come in. He was on Fox and Friends this morning, actually, and he's here locally uh, in Georgia. So he, he or someone from his team can come in and sit down with your employees. And, and it's not a business grab, um, but it is a, a business education. It, it's a willingness to calm people down and educate them on their 401ks, which people need because they're all freaked. Everybody's freaked out about their retirement right now, given what's happened in the market, and they'll do that. Uh, but he, as his, his point was, the Fed last week decided to cut interest rates a half point, and that actually did more harm than good psychologically because everyone had been saying this really isn't a big deal uh, and everything's going to be okay. And then the Fed rushes in with a half point cut and it freaks people out saying, oh my goodness, this really is worse than we expected. But not only that, it, it also doesn't do much. The, the problem is not, you know, you cut the, you cut the, the interest rate to make it easier for businesses to get access to capital at low, low cost. And the problem here is not that businesses can't get access to capital at low cost. Interest rates are already down. In fact, this is a great time to refinance your house. Uh, that's another issue. Chris Burns and them, they don't, they don't do that. Dynamic Money doesn't do refinance. They don't sell you stuff, uh, but they can certainly partner you with good people if you want to refinance and, and put it into your retirement or figure out how to get home equity. They can do all that stuff with you. But uh, his point was that we needed something else. So now here comes the president with this uh, payroll tax cut. 
uh, that will help businesses lower their costs. It will help employees have a little more take-home pay to weather the storm, to be able to stockpile more toilet paper, I guess. Uh, And it's a smarter economic play by the president and Congress now to do this. I will tell you to her credit, Nancy Pelosi uh, came out today. They had a special meeting of the Democratic caucus in the House. A lot of them want to pack up and go home because of the coronavirus fears. And Pelosi has told them nothing doing that they're the captains of the ship and they got to stay there. Now, of course, people are ridiculing her saying it's like the Titanic. They're going to go down with the ship. But I got to say credit where it's due to Nancy Pelosi. It pains me to say nice things about her. But uh, it's nice that she's taking this position, that Congress is not going anywhere. They're, they're going to ride out the storm with everyone else. Although I kind of wish Congress would go home and stop spending our money. That would be a good thing.